The Fall Classic is even at one game apiece as the Diamondbacks show great resolve after a crushing Game 1 defeat. Will they use their home field advantage to not have to go back to Arlington or at least be up 3-2 in the series? Don't look now, but the San Francisco 49ers have hit the skids as they've fallen out of first place in the NFC West in what was an active NFL Sunday. Oklahoma could be on the outside looking in as far as the college football playoff mix is concerned after a rough loss at Kansas. I'll jump into what's happening in the association and NHL. And Francis Ngannou fought Tyson Fury over the weekend. It generated little buzz prior to their fight. But did the former MMA fighter not only get the respect of Fury, but did he actually win the bout? I've got plenty of tricks and treats up my sleeve as Halloween Eve is here. And so is the latest podcast. It's all coming up. But first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People, greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, ready to hand out plenty of treats and quite a few tricks as well. It's just about that time to officially usher in the holiday season and prepare for the final two months of the year. That's right, people. Before you know it, it'll be not only Halloween, which is tomorrow. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and it'll be 2024 before you know it. But at this very moment, here to deliver all the latest in the sports universe is none other than yours truly, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And before we even get to the NFL, I know we had a full slate. Which was weird to think that there were no teams on a bye where we've already had, what, three or four weeks where teams have been on bye weeks. They had all 16 games, all 32 teams in effect where tonight Las Vegas at Detroit will cap off a week eight as we head not only toward a trade deadline tomorrow, but also the halfway point of the NFL season. But before I even get to that, I have to start off with the baseball because now we're down to quite possibly... It's final five games of the baseball season. And who knows? It may even be the final three, considering that the Arizona Diamondbacks, when you think about it, they should be up 2-0 in this series, heading back to the desert. But as it was Friday night, and I was worried about this team into Saturday night for a game two, because if you watch game one, you had the Diamondbacks, who have been very resourceful, They've been able to squeeze out every drop of that lemon or orange, whatever fruit you want to use here, and get themselves to a point where no one expected them to be in a World Series. And what you saw there in Game 1, where they had a 5-3 lead going into the bottom of the ninth inning, and Paul Sewall, the former Met reliever, remember him? And his pitched very well since he's been a member of the Diamondbacks as they got him from a trade during the trade deadline there in late July into August. But for Seawall to go in there and walk the first batter, and once I saw that, I said to myself, it's not going to look good. And then after an out, what happens? The first pitch to Corey Seaver, he hits it into the second deck at Globe Life Field, and at that point, you just knew that the Diamondbacks looked like they weren't going to win that game. Because any time that you have a team that's that close to winning, 
A team that's a big underdog, a team that could taste victory and then have it snatched from them. Not to say that they lost at that moment, because we know all know that two innings later, Adolis Garcia, who has just been Barry Bonds this postseason, or especially in these last couple of rounds, but for him to hit that opposite field home run to pull the Rangers out of the fire and win a game one to have them bringing all that momentum into the next night for a game two where the Diamondbacks had to have, and I understand people could say, well, wait a second, J-Reels. They were down 0-2 to Philly when they lost the first two games in Philadelphia on the road, and then we know what happened after that. But still, going back to what I said just a couple of minutes ago, having that loss in game one, I thought was going to be damaging. Only because when we look at the playoffs on a whole, obviously you can forget about the wild card round. They swept the Brewers. The division series swept the Dodgers. And just as I mentioned, they were down 0-2 to Philadelphia. But remember, they were down 5-0 in game one before they made it respectable and lost 5-3. And then they got smacked around Citizens Bank 10-0 to the point where they had their tails between their legs going back to Phoenix. And I'm sure everybody in America who's a baseball fan or even a good sports fan thought that Well, all the Phillies need to do is just get the one game and they're going to bring it back to Philadelphia with a chance to win the series considering that the Phillies had not lost at home throughout the postseason up to that point. And then we saw what happened after that. But considering that they lost those games, one and two, and even game five, when they drew even in the series and they lost six to one, those are the type of games that you go, eh, all right, you have to dust off your shoulder. You have to look at that and maybe not throw it away. But you know that you weren't in the game. You know that Zach Wheeler in that game five dominated. And you were able to have to go back to Philadelphia to win the two games. And as we all know, that's what happened. But because they had such a rough loss and a bitter loss, a game that, let's face it, the Diamondbacks should have won, but they did not. And I get it that it's just 24 hours. It's not the NFL where you're going to sit around a hotel room or in your home or, let's say, at the facility, mulling about it, replaying it over in your head, 7,000 times before the next game, the turnaround was literally 24 hours. And what we saw there Saturday night was the resolve of a team that has been there, done that, and feels as if that they could not only win this series, but now bring it back to Arizona to maybe not even have to get on a plane to go back to Arlington. Thanks to Merrill Kelly and his stupendous performance, the only mistake that he gave was a gopher ball there in the fifth inning. And even though the game was 2-0 at the time, And maybe you could have thought that, all right, Texas with that home run, now they could see if they could apply some pressure on the D-backs, maybe try to eke out another run. And that's how you win these games. You scratch, you claw, even with a two-run deficit that they had. But for the Diamondbacks then to have a little bit of an uprising, tack on a bunch of runs there late, you had a situation where Tommy Pham could have had an opportunity to be a 5-for-5, which I thought many years ago, I read a stat that no one in the history of the World Series has had a 5-for-5 game. I thought Ted Simmons of the Milwaukee Brewers in 1982, he may have gone 5-for-6. I know he had a 5-hit game in the World Series. But when I saw that, and Pham, to be the teammate that he is, to give up his last at-bat to Jace Peterson for him to get an opportunity to at least have a shot to dig his cleats into the batter's box because chances are he may not even see the field, or even a chance to get in that bat in the Fall Classic. And he did give up his final at bat, even at 4 for 4 And Pham had to come to the defense of his manager because a lot of people thought, how can you take out Tommy Pham? I'm sure he may be bitter, upset. And he said, no, 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 no. This was my doing. I volunteered to give up my last at bat to Peterson. And Peterson was nothing but grateful and gracious toward Pham. And it just goes to show how cohesive this team is. Because remember, Pham came into the Diamondback team right at the trade deadline when the Mets shipped them to Arizona and a guy that's been there literally for two months or two and a half months around there thought and felt that, hey, I don't need to get another at bat. I want to be able to hand it off to the next guy for them to have a memory for them to, or for him to be able to tell his grandkids that he was able to get in that bat in a World Series. And kudos to fam, kudos to the team. And you could tell they are buying in as a collective unit, as we saw there in those two games in Philadelphia. And I mentioned they were going to be a tough out. And I thought that the Rangers would probably win this series, but you cannot discount this team. And I think, and I'm not going to change my tune. I did say Rangers in six, 
But I certainly didn't discount this team from them having an opportunity to win based on what we've seen throughout this postseason to date. And having a 9-1 victory after that loss there on Friday night, to me, shows leaps and bounds that this team is not going anywhere. And that I'd be shocked if they do not go back to Arlington. And I certainly even wouldn't be shocked if they were to sweep these middle three games here in Phoenix. Now, do I think they're going to do that? Right now, I can't say that that's going to be the case. I feel that the Rangers are going to get at least one game. And I understand you never know. That's why they play the games, etc. But I think Arizona's on a mission here. I really do. And I thought the same for the Phillies in the previous round, considering how they performed here in October up until they got to Philadelphia there 3-2 and thinking that it was going to be a foregone conclusion that the Phillies were going to go back to the World Series similar to what they did last year. But you got to give it up. Merrill Kelly was stupendous. Their offense, I understand, they're not going to shake the boots of the opponent. It's not as if they got a bunch of thumpers and boppers, but this just goes to show you and even prove that yes, in this day and age of analytics, in this day and age of launch angles and exit velocity, and it's either a home run, a walk, or a strikeout, that you do not need to have excess power in order for you to be successful here in the major leagues. They have the right team, they have the right fit, and they have the right manager. A guy that's pushed all the right buttons, a guy that's made his team on an even keel. They didn't get too high, they didn't get too low, they didn't show that there was any panic in them, even going into that game too. And you got to give it up for what they've done here. And I've extolled their praise big time after beating the Phillies there on Thursday's podcast. And here, they're going to be a dangerous team. There is no way, shape, form about it. And even though the Rangers, I get it, that maybe there's an offensive explosion in them to where they just run the Diamondbacks out of the building. We've seen that, obviously, in the previous series, what the Phillies did. And even in that game five, where they hit three home runs in a game, they won 6-1, And it looked like they were going to be dead to rights. But at this present moment, knowing that they have a lot of gas in their tank, they're going to host their first World Series game in 22 years. I'm sure the fan base is going to be raucous. I guess whatever the diehard Arizona Diamondback fan is out in the desert and in the valley. But it should make for some entertaining baseball. It should make for some good games. You don't want to see a bunch of 9-1 or 7-2 type games. You want to see what you saw there on Friday night where it's tooth and nail, where one pitch could cost you as you saw there with Seawald. And let's just hope that the sports fan, not even the baseball fan, but the sports fan, they gravitate a little bit to say, oh, wait a second, Arizona won that game, it's 1-1. I get it, you have Las Vegas and Detroit tonight in the NFL, but it is a Monday. Maybe those two teams... For whatever the reason, don't take it your fancy and you tune in to watch the World Series. And how I look at it is, I think this series is going to go back to Arlington, but I really feel that even with my prediction, I think that the Diamondbacks are going to go up 3-2. Now, do they seal the deal in Arlington? That remains to be seen because as we've seen so far, here in October, teams have come back from 3-2 deficits. Now, mind you, both of these teams that are here have done it on the road. But if the Rangers happen to go back down a game facing elimination in a game six, would you be surprised if they win a game six and then a game seven? Remember who their manager is, as I talked about him being an X-Factor and a one Bruce Bochy. And even though Lavello's pushed all the right buttons and they've done all the right things to get to this point, but you do have to wonder whether or not Lavello is going to have that moment where he's going to look at the iPad instead of the eye test and either pull a pitcher way too soon or put in a reliever way too early than he should. And that's what could cost him between the chance of winning a World Series and losing. And we haven't seen that yet. So something to keep in mind and pay attention to here over the course of these next three days as the scene shifts to Arizona here for Game 3 tonight where you're going to have Brandon Fott Go up against Max Scherzer. And I know the theme here with Scherzer is trying to get those big outs and to be the mercenary that he is. And it's ironic because this was the first team, and I believe he was drafted by the Diamondbacks, but we all know that way back when, early on in his career, you have to go back to, I believe, 2008, when he was just a youngster in the major leagues and pitched for the Diamondbacks before he got traded to Detroit. And then we all know his journey from that point on. So a little bit of a full circle moment for him. And let's see if he's able to put up some zeros or at least put up a quality start 
to maybe go at least five innings, maybe six innings to see if he could get the Rangers a 2-1 series lead. So a lot of the focus and the spotlight's going to be on him to see how he performs tonight as he'll be on the road. I believe it's going to be his first road start because he did, no, how I take that back? He did pitch game seven in Houston in his last start. My apologies, but because the game was out of reach and the Rangers piled on the Astro starting pitching in their bullpen, Scherzer's start gets forgotten in that case. But yes, you can only go as far back as the game or two games before the last one where Scherzer was able to pitch on the road. So we shall see. Looking forward to it. Should be very appealing. Also, hopefully very competitive. And I get it. You're going to have your blowouts in some of these World Series games. But as the series continues to unfold, and as you get deeper into the series, hopefully you get a classic or two. Hopefully you get a nail-biter. Because that's what you want to see when you have the tension ratcheted up and the pressure that much more on whatever team that it may be, whether it is the road team down 2-1, or if it's 2-2, when you have that classic Game 5 that you saw there in the American League Championship Series, how the Astros were able to pull that game out. That's what you want to see here. You want to see drama, you want to have the intrigue, you want to have suspense, you want to have all that, because that has the makings of what could potentially be not just a classic game, but a classic series. So let's see how these next three games go before we reconvene on Thursday and recap it all as who knows will the series be over by then will we have a game six in Phoenix well we'll have to wait and see and definitely we will discuss it first thing come Thursday now as I put on the helmet and shoulder pads to get to the NFL and also college football here and one thing about the NFL yesterday as week eight will conclude tonight with the aforementioned Raiders visiting the Lions a game that I'm sure Quite a few people will watch, but not this guy. I'm going to be wrapped up in the baseball. That is a matchup that certainly doesn't tantalize my viewing pleasure or even makes me want to, of course I'll tune in just to see what's going on, but to watch every snap and every second, not this guy. But the one theme that I'm going to take away from yesterday, which was the final Sunday as we will turn the calendars here in a few days and get to November, are teams that are looking to make the turn. And I get it, we still have half a season to go. And there's plenty of football to be played. But to me, how I looked at yesterday were four teams that maybe, just maybe, even with tough schedules ahead and even with some stiff competition, these are teams that could have a say when it's all said and done as far as how both the playoff picture in the AFC and NFC will unfold. And I know I get into my winners and losers, which I'll do afterwards. But to me, when I take a look at the landscape and you had all other teams play, there were no buys this week and they're going to go back to the buys next week, which is weird and bizarre. I don't know why the NFL did that, but be that as it may, here are the four teams that look like they may be able to take that turn. And one of the teams is a winner, I know, and that's going to be the Cincinnati Bengals. For them to go to San Francisco... And they're hurting, and that's going to be a theme that I will talk about in a second. But for the Bengals to now get themselves where they're over 500 for the first time, they're 4-3, and three, and they pretty much, I'm not going to say they manhandled the Niners, but if the template was the Browns and how to defend that Niner offense a couple of weeks back, and even though the Vikings with Kirk Cousins, and sorry to hear about him as he tore his Achilles, at least that's what's been reported, but we saw what... Cousins did to the Niner defense there last Monday night. But this game could be a textbook for a lot of other teams that are going to face the Niners from here on out to show that the Bengals, and I get it, you have to have the quarterback, you have to have the weapons there with Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon, etc. But for them to put up that type of performance where Joe Burrow was, what, 28 of 32? I mean, seriously? An 89% completion rate? And then on top of that, for him to have that type of game to where even though he threw for over 300 yards but had a monster game where the Bengals went ahead and won 31-17 and I'm sure a lot of the teams in the AFC are taking notice that even though he had less than 200, it was 283. So I got my threes mixed up because I saw Brock Purdy threw for 365. And again, I'll get to the Niners because to me they're also a big team here that's going to head into the second half of this year. But for... Burrow to have that type of performance, to throw three touchdowns, 
for their defense to make some big plays, intercept Brock Purdy inside their 10 where the Niners were marching down the field. And Cincinnati, again, this is a team, as we all know, Super Bowl and AFC Championship game the last two years. And they're laying in the weeds here. Now, they still have some ground to make up as far as them to get toward the top of the conference. But with yesterday, the Chiefs taking a step back, finally losing after their opener against the Lions there in week one. And they go to the Mile High City and lose to Denver. And people could say, oh, how could that happen? We all know that division road games are never easy no matter who the opponent is. So for Casey to get a loss under their belt and are 6-2, and two, and now that the Kansas City Chiefs have come back to the pack just a little bit, at least for one week, and now the Bengals, they're still two games behind, but they do have a matchup with them later on in the year. So maybe it is the time for the Bengals to turn the corner, to know that they've gotten rid of whatever happened there in the preseason with Joe Burrow's calf and the sluggish start, 0-2 and 1-3, and, and, and now that they're above 500. Their team to look out for here as we get to the halfway point of this NFL season. The second team are the Jacksonville Jaguars. And before people say, what? Jacksonville? Who? Hey, really, J Reels? Well, they're in a division that they're going to coast. They already have a three-game lead in the AFC South. They beat the Steelers yesterday, which was no big deal. I mean, the Steelers, their offense is just putrid, and I'll talk about them later on. But Jacksonville who were also in a 1-2 and two hole, have now turned their fortunes around to the point where they've won five in a row. They may not be spectacular, but they're certainly steady. Trevor Lawrence is continuing to build that resume of being that number one pick coming out of Clemson, and all he's doing is winning games, and that's what you want from your quarterback. Nothing really special yesterday. It was just a 2010 whole hum type of game, but they were in control pretty much from the start. And Travis Etienne is going to give you his contribution, especially on the ground. But we all know that he could catch balls out of the backfield. Having Calvin Ridley has been a huge plus. Remember Ridley, Falcons, he had a suspension last year for the gambling. And now he's come back this year and has had a nice year. So they have a threat there as a wideout. And defensively, very underrated, led by Josh Allen, Trayvon Walker, can't forget him. And Jacksonville is going to be a team that, again... A lot of people aren't going to look as a sexy team. They're not the Kansas Cities, the Cincinnati's, maybe even the Baltimore's for that matter. Certainly San Francisco, Philadelphia. But Jacksonville's right there at 6-2 and two, and knowing that they've won five in a row and a team that I understand they play in a weak division and they're going up against majority the NFC South as far as the games in the other conference. And I have them as an over this year at 10. And right now they're flying high. And that to me is another team that we're definitely going to have to look out for here as we get to the latter part of the season. The other team are the Seattle Seahawks. Is this team for real? Is this a team that we could maybe even look at as a two seed in the NFC? Yesterday, they were down late and they came down the field and they're another winner if you ask me. But for Seattle to have a late drive and Geno Smith, who has not been, he's been up and down. He's been relatively good, but he's had his moments, whether the game in Cincinnati, and that was a low-scoring game where the Bengals won, but they've been in all these games. They're a tough team, and it seems they're also a tough will team, and that's led by their head coach, Pete Carroll. Again, this is a far cry from the Legion of Boom. This is a far cry from those Super Bowl teams of the mid-20-teens. But Geno Smith, even DK Metcalf, who has been injured and hasn't really been in the lineup, and I believe he did play yesterday. I didn't watch the game. But for whatever the reason, the pieces that they have in place are just enough for them to be able to be in the hunt and right now are currently in first place. Now, granted, the Niners go into their bye where the Seahawks have already had their bye. But for them to be 5-2 and two at this point, and with Geno Smith... I think a notch below of how he's played this year compared to last. But here they are. In first place as currently constituted at this right, very smack moment. And they could do all the bragging and boasting. We get it that you can't do that here in late October. You got to wait till you get to January and so on. And you're going to have two matchups against the Niners down the road. And they're going to have a tough schedule because they also have to play Philadelphia. Obviously the Niners twice. And that is going to be a huge game when you think about it come Thanksgiving night 
where I believe San Francisco is going to Seattle. I had to double check that. I know they are playing that night. And the Thanksgiving schedule isn't really a great one. You got Green Bay, Detroit, I believe Washington at Dallas. And then the nightcap, which is a good one there with Seattle and San Francisco. That's going to be huge when it comes to the NFC West. So those are the three teams there. And then the fourth team, I'm going to throw the Baltimore Ravens in there. And only for this reason. I get it that I picked two teams in the same division, the AFC North, to see if they could turn the corner and take that leap. But think about this. With the Chiefs losing, and then obviously Jacksonville's in the mix, as we know. But Baltimore showed you something there yesterday in Arizona. Only because they had that blowout win the week before against Detroit. And therefore, I don't know who their game is next week. I think Cleveland is coming into that building off the top of my head. But that had a stinker written all over it to where they blew out the Lions. The Lions, who, as we all know, have gotten off to a great start to their year. And for them to, Ravens that is, take the Lions to the back of the woodshed and do what they did to them last week. This week had the makings of upset special written all over it. But they dominated there. Gruss Edwards with three touchdowns. Lamar Jackson was, his numbers were very paltry. As we've seen with that Raven defense at times. But they were able to hang on there, even though Josh Dobbs, the quarterback of the Cardinals, tried to be a little bit heroic and put his team in the game. And yes, when it was all said and done, they were down by one score. But the Ravens, I think, could be a team. Now, mind you, it's all going to be predicated on Lamar Jackson. Because as we all know, a lot of the teams in the postseason, they're going to gear up for that run. And we understand that they do have a good offensive line and they have a bruising running game. And it's even led by Lamar Jackson, especially when he goes off past the line of scrimmage and into the secondary. But they're going to expect more out of Lamar from the passing game, and they're going to need that. But I think the Ravens, I feel like they have a big run in them. And I kind of hate to say that. Everybody knows I can't stand them. But they're a team that we're certainly going to have to pay attention to only because with Kansas City losing and Jacksonville, although we feel like they've made that turn as well, and Baltimore is also a team, not to say again, that they're just hiding behind everybody else and a team that's going to surprise everybody. No, that's not the case. But Baltimore could be that team that could have that long run in them. And maybe it could be between them and the Bengals when it's all said and done for the AFC North, which would be huge for tiebreaker purposes. And this is why, as we get into November and see how the next month is going to go before we can think about December and see how... The chips will lie as far as playoff positioning, seeding, etc. But I think those four teams are going to be dangerous here. I would have said maybe the Vikings, but considering they're winning Green Bay to get them to 500, and remember, they got off to a very bad start themselves. And for Kirk Cousins to have that apparent Achilles injury and could be done for the year, that is a devastating blow for the Vikings. My guys, Headstyle and Kev, what more can you say? For them to dig out of themselves, what were they, 0-3, and then now to get to a respectable 4-4, and and they have not played the Lions yet, so that would have been even a bigger plus for them to know that their destiny was right in front of them, knowing that they still had to play the Lions a couple of times, but now with Cousins out, you could pretty much forget them having any chance to win a division or even make it to the playoffs unless everybody else collapses around them. So I'm not going to put the Vikings there, but now the other team that... I certainly would be super concerned about all the Niners because for all the bluster that we heard about in the first part of the year, and you can even check these receipts, and I get it that they were dominant in those first five weeks, that they were a team that a lot of people thought, oh boy, they're going to be Super Bowl ready, that they're in midseason form and it was only week two or three, that they've put themselves in a position where they're arguably the best team in the sport. But let's do a little homework here and to think of the opponents that they beat. And some of them have above 500 records. So I'm not trying to come out here to say that they've beaten nobody. But they blew out the Steelers in week one where the Steelers had one yard before their final possession there in the first half. And the Steelers, as we all know, their offense is as putrid and not even from hunger, it is from starvation. The Rams, all right, respectable, but again, this is a far cry from the Super Bowl team a couple of years ago. The Giants, need I say more, that game against the Jets yesterday, they set football back 100 years, and I'll get to that later. The Cardinals, who I understand their game and they're feisty, but again, they are the Cardinals. 
The Cowboys, who they have their number, let's face it, even with the Cowboys, what is their record right now? I think they're what, 5-2 and two or 6-2? and two? I don't even know off the top of my head, and I understand they blew out the Rams there yesterday. And then they lost to the Browns, I understand. Browns, very good team, solid, but a, and P.J. Walker was the quarterback, so go figure that. And then they lost to the Vikings, as we talked about, but it's not as if they beat a gauntlet of NFL teams to get to their record at 5-0. and oh. And now here they are at 5-3, and three, not to say the sky is falling or it's crisis time, but I will say this. With the Eagles now at 7-1, and one, and there is a matchup there in early December at the link, and they can only hope and pray that they're going to be a game behind. Now, mind you, Philly has a very tough schedule forthcoming. They still have to play the Cowboys, which I believe, let me double check, I believe their first matchup is this coming Sunday, 425 in Philly. But Philly has a very tough schedule ahead. They still have to play the Chiefs. They have to go to Seattle. Cowboys twice. So they have a bit of a gauntlet themselves. So it's not as if the Niners are completely out of it. But that game, I believe is what, December 3rd? Where the Niners have to go to Philadelphia? They would only hope to be a game behind because that game is going to be for a one seed. At least I would think. Because when it's all said and done, I get it that Detroit, even... You can look at a team, maybe even Seattle at this very moment, considering that they still have to play the Eagles. And you're not going to look at a team from the NFC South to be in competition for a one seed. So I'll just look at those two teams and obviously the Niners. If they're going to be, I get it, you also can't forget the Cowboys, but for right this very moment, we're talking about the division leaders. If San Francisco does not go to that game, one game behind Philly, and obviously they're going to need to win that, in order for them to get a one seed, they're going to end up being at least a five, having to go on the road for three straight games. And what you've seen from Brock Purdy here over the last couple of weeks, it was reported that Sam Darnold was going to start yesterday's game. And as it was, Brock Purdy cleared the concussion protocol to where he started in the game and was not good. And Purdy's numbers have not been good here over the last few weeks. Let's call it as we see it. And I understand he drove the Brown team, or excuse me, the game against the Browns. He drove them down for an attempt to win the game, but the kicker, Moody, missed it, and therefore their unblemished record had a blemish. But Purdy has not shown his perfect, and the guy that we've seen here over the latter part of last year and the first part of this year, he has now become mortal. And I don't know what's going on with his confidence. I don't know if it's a thing where he's just hit a slump and every quarterback is going to have that. And maybe he's going to snap out of it. And in all likelihood, he probably will. But the Niners, not to say that their season is on life support. By any means, it's not. But you do have to wonder whether or not this team is going to be in the running for a one seed when it's all said and done. And if you're a Niner fan, knowing that you are flying high after five weeks, and right now you're in the middle of the pack in the NFC, and not in first place at this very moment, of course, a lot could happen between now and week 18. Understood. But you'd have to be concerned. And there's even been rumors about maybe bringing in reinforcements similar to what they did last year when they brought in Kristen McCaffrey right before the trade deadline, which it's now on Halloween. So I'm sure you're going to got a lot of tricks and treats here when it comes to trades here on Tuesday where I would think that the deadline is by 4 o'clock. And even the coach, Kyle Shanahan, said, I'm not seeing any Kristen McCaffrey's walking through that door. This year, and he feels confident that what he has in house is enough and is more than enough. And I believe he's right. There isn't another receiver that you could bring in with Debo Samuel. Let's see what the buy that the Niners have forthcoming, and maybe him coming out of that healthy where he could get back in the lineup. But the Niners right now, there is a lot of concern. And we've seen that they are not a average team, far from it, but they're not the dominant team that we saw here over the first five weeks as we've seen they have the propensity and certainly have the talent to play amongst the best and be that full complete team offensively and defensively but now as we've seen here they're just another team that could compete in the conference that they have every right to come out of when it's all said and done to go to Arizona and play in Super Bowl 58 but they are certainly not showing that here what we've seen over the last three weeks And now they certainly have to pull up those bootstraps to see whether or not they belong in that discussion as we get deeper into this NFL season. 
All right, I'm going to go through some of these games, uh, trim the fat on some of these, and the first one I'll trim will be Carolina as they got their first win of the year, so they're not going to go 0-17. They beat the Houston Texans, the matchup between the number one and number two pick overall, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and give it up, the Carolina Panthers were able to prevail there with a last-second field goal, and Houston, that certainly hits them right where it hurts because if Houston had any thoughts of being a team that was going to be a threat, and that is a term that I'll use lightly in the AFC South, that if they would have won that game, they would have been still a couple of games behind the Jacksonville Jaguars, but at least they could have still hung around and hung in there. But now they have a two and a half game, well, they trail two and a half games behind Jacksonville, and you would think that the Jaguars will cruise to a division title, but kudos to the Panthers for winning there. 15-13 on a walk-off field goal, and I'm sure they got to feel good down there knowing that they won't be a laughingstock and continue this losing streak well into November. Uh, I'm not going to get into the Sunday night game. I know the Chargers, they won 30-13 or up 30-7, and it's funny because this morning, the Today Show, they highlighted the game, and I understand why it was on NBC, Sunday Night Football, but for them to come out to say, oh, what a great game last night. In SoFi between the Bears and Chargers, and now that the Chargers are in the mix of the AFC playoff race, they are 3-4. and Can we not get carried away here, people? I get it that they have to pump it up, and they have to make it look pretty, and sports isn't their thing, and they got to read from the teleprompter, but they're not fooling anybody, and they're certainly not fooling me in that regard, and we understand that they have the quarterback, and they have some talent, etc., but the Chargers can't get out of their own way, and if they couldn't beat the Bears last night in their building, then... Boy, they have to, at that point, they would have sent Brandon Staley out on the rail. The coach of the Chargers, that was the case. So, another game, even though trimming fat, but is the Will Levis era begun in Tennessee? Four touchdown passes. They beat the Atlanta Falcons and Levis, who had a very impressive debut and was riding high on that, a dream come true, etc. You would think that. Mike Vrabel has no choice but to start this guy. Ryan Tannehill, I get he's in the last year of a contract. Even though he's making whatever, how many millions a year, you got to have Levis ride this out. Obviously, if he gets injured, different story. But based on this one game, and I get it, although Atlanta's respectable, they're certainly not a world-beating type of team. They're not a threat, even though in an NFC South, which is just a jumbled mess. But give it up for what he did in his first ever start and to put up... That type of performance, and it's still an NFL defense. I get it, you could say it's the Falcons, and they do have some talent on the defensive side. And even though his percentage rate wasn't as high, he was 19 for 29, but when you throw four touchdowns, I don't care if they were all two-yard touchdowns. And of course, that wasn't the case. To break it all down, he did have a 47, a 16, both to DeAndre Hopkins. Later on, a 61-yard touchdown pass. And then he capped it off with a... Another 33 yards, and I didn't watch all the highlights of this game, and not to say that these were all bombs down the field. I'm sure there were regular either inseams or just even outs where they were taken to the house, five-yard passes, and then the receivers did the rest. But for Will Levis to have that type of debut, you would think that Coach Vrabel is going to have him play the rest of this year and see what he has there in a quarterback because it looks like Malik Willis is going to be the backup The guy who was drafted in the second round last year who showed nothing under center for the Titans. And we will see if that's going to be the case there for Tennessee as we move forward. I'm not going to get into the Thursday night game. I know Buffalo won 24-18. And I don't know if you like what you saw there out of Josh Allen. And it is Tampa, another team in that NFC South that you have to really shake your head at and wonder who's going to come out of that division as a winner and host a playoff game in the middle of January. So you got that going on. That Jet-Giant game, I've watched parts of it. This is all you need to know about the game, and I talked about it setting football back 100 years. If you didn't watch the game, this is all you need to know. They had a third-string quarterback in the game and a one Tommy DeVito, who's a local kid here. I believe he played uh, out in Jersey. But your third-down efficiency in the game, you ready for this? These aren't typos. The Jets were 2 for 15. The Giants were 2 for 19. And there were punts aplenty in this game as teams were just... I think the Giants had like 14 punts in the game. 
That's how bad and that's how putrid this was. Where the Jets, they even admitted, are you ready for this? They even admitted that they were worried that if they were to lose this game, who knows how the rest of the season would have gone. And I know I'm paraphrasing there because it's not as if, let me see if I can pull up the exact quote. Because when I saw that, I was startled that the Jet team, even though they try to remain composed and try to remain calm, but they knew that if they weren't going to come away with a win here, that it was going to be curtains for this team. Could you imagine? And I get it. It's against their cross-town or really cross-corridor rivals in the Giants. And the Giants, as we all know, they were 1-5 and and been just downright awful this year. But they, the Jets that is, felt as if they were going to lose that game. You had the tight end, Tyler Conklin, say that, and there's a quote, sitting on that sideline at the end of the game, feeling like we were going to lose, it was a pretty blanket feeling. When you have your players knowing that they didn't deserve to win the game, and knowing that they would have heard it from the fan base, the giant fans, whether they're going to get gas or going to the supermarket, etc., I'm sure as bleak as it was, and knowing that the Jets, who looked like they weren't going to win the game as it was, miraculously, and got the pass interference call in the overtime, which was a terrible play by Adoree Jackson, I mean, seriously, turn around, son. And this is coming from a guy that's never played cornerback and played Sandlot football, but man, you would think he never played cornerback in forever when he made that play where he literally ran into the receiver running full steam at him, so... That was a game where, again, if you watched that from start to finish and you're not a Jet and Giant fan, God bless you. That is all I have to say about that game. But then you had Miami beating New England, no surprise there, as the Dolphins. And that's going to be a team we also have to keep a close eye on. They could beat the Dolphins. They could win all these games, 70-20 to against the Broncos. But let me see them win a big game in their building, and win a big game against a big opponent. That's it. The two losses were at Buffalo and Philadelphia. And they can run roughshod over all the dregs of the league, but they're going to have to win a game against a big opponent in order for me to truly believe that this team is a Super Bowl caliber team. Dallas beating the Rams, no shock there. Cowboys usually take care of teams like that in their building. And Dak Prescott had a very good game. Philly... Give it up to them. They've done very well here. And I understand they haven't been spectacular. Even Washington had an early lead there. But they have certainly performed well. Even when the chips are down. And even when it looks like they're not going to be able to. Well, they sustain drives. I know the Jet game you had to throw out. And that was a bad performance by Jalen Hurts in that game. But they find ways to win. They find themselves in a position where they, where they eke out a win. Or whether they, again, are just able to have enough resourcefulness to make a big play when it matters. And that's what you saw there yesterday in Washington. As they shown a little bit of that Super Bowl resolve, Super Bowl team, obviously they didn't win, but you know what I'm saying. And these are type of games on the road, especially division games, where you learn about yourself. And again, the Commanders aren't a team that you're going to worry about or you're going to have to wonder down the road, are we going to see this team again? And as it is, they already finished their season series against them. So chances are that you're not going to see them in January. But because, excuse me, both teams know one another and Philly were was a little bit under the gun there that they were able to pull away in the second half and hang on the win 38-31. And right now are in pole position in the NFC, as I mentioned earlier. And besides that, that's what you got there. I know New Orleans won in Indianapolis. Am I going to get crazy about that? That's not to knock or not show any good fortune toward the Saints and what they've done. And again, that division, it is literally a coin flip as to who's going to win that. And they're going to end up being the fourth seed in the NFC when we get to the middle of January. But that's what you got here in a week number eight. And again, let's see what's going to happen with the trade deadline tomorrow. I couldn't even tell you. It's not like baseball or even basketball for that matter where players are going to be rumored to be traded, etc. You know, this isn't a situation where you have a James Harden in the NFL where, oh, I want out or I need to get on a new team or what have you. You're not going to see that. But you're going to wonder whether or not a team's going to try to procure a backup quarterback. Let's say the Jets. I'm sure Joe Douglas is going to work the phones to see what he could do to pluck 
a backup onto his team because right now the current guy to have, I believe what, Tim Boyle? If Zach Wilson goes down, are you really going to entrust in Tim Boyle? I don't think so. So for the latest and greatest as far as that, check my YouTube channel for any videos if there's any. And you're rarely going to get the blockbuster trade, although last year you got a bunch of trades where you had Bradley Chubb go from Denver to Miami. And I talked about him last year. And even this year, where's that man been as far as his sack total and being that dominant pass rushing force that he was when he came out of college? Even uh, Chase Claypool was traded last year. He had a few trades that were significant. And you wonder whether or not you're going to have some of that come tomorrow by 4 p.m. So you know I'll have my fingers on the pulse when it comes to that. And for any up-to-the-minute or updates when it comes to... The trade deadline or anything else that's happening in sports, check my YouTube channel, at JReels, for the latest and greatest there. And as far as the college football, if you're an Oklahoma Sooner fan, I know you have to be sick. And even though it's not official that you're not going to make it into the college football playoff mix, but that was a crushing defeat to a Kansas Jayhawk team that I'm sure they're still licking their wounds, wondering what the hell happened there Saturday afternoon. That was a bad loss. If you're Oklahoma, knowing that you had visions of being in the college football Final Four, and again, a lot could happen between now and then, as we all know, but that was one where you're going to go kicking and screaming into the bowl season, and yes, you're going to end up in a bowl, but when it's all said and done, if you're not going to be part of the top four, and especially if teams aren't going to start falling by the wayside, whether you're Ohio State, Michigan, Washington, Georgia, etc., then it looks like with them falling to the bottom of the top 10 as I currently speak, it looks like it's going to be slim pickings for them to even come close to being in the semifinals come New Year's Eve. And that is just a shame. And we understand road games, they're tough in the conference, just like with the NFL in a division. And for them to not pull that one out, that's going to be one, it's going to sting, I would think, from now until the early part of December, where the college football will start to shape up, especially with a lot of these games in the weeks to come. And you don't have a great week this coming week as well, which I'll get to in a minute. But right now, the top four are still the same. Whether it's Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Washington is right behind them and Washington had a barn burner there against Stanford there on Saturday night and you have to think that Michael Penix Jr. is going to be a front runner if not the lead horse I hate to use that term in the race as far as winning the Heisman Trophy overall as again I understand it's Pacific Northwest I understand he gets kind of either swallowed up or even forgotten because he plays out in the Pac-12 and plays where a lot of people in the East Coast are asleep, but he has had a phenomenal year, and Washington is knocking on that door to see whether or not the Ohio States, the Michigans, who they'll play in a few weeks, or even Florida State, has a cupcake schedule, let's face it, and Georgia, you would think they should cruise to at least the SEC championship, but those are the teams that are looking formidable and are looking like they're going to be part of this Final Four mix when it's all said and done. I know Oregon, with their performance there, the other night against Utah as they blew out the Utes. As we all know, the Utes have been very formidable this year, but without their quarterback, Cameron Rising, they're certainly not going to be, although they're ranked in the top 25, but not a team that's going to threaten for the college football playoff. But Oregon is another team that is going to be there, you would think, when it's all said and done, even with a loss under their belt. And then, of course, you have Texas. You can't forget Alabama. Penn State, which I don't believe, even if they do beat Michigan, in a couple of weeks, but you have a lot of teams that are going to be in the mix, and it looks like Oklahoma may not be one of them when it's all said and done, and how I look at it, I don't think they will, considering that they dropped from what? I believe they were sixth as of Saturday, and now that they're 10th, it is going to be tough sledding for them, and they're going to need a lot of help in order for them to be part of that discussion there when we get to the latter part of November into December. And that's what you got with the college football. That's the latest, the greatest of what's happening there. So Oklahoma taking a huge hit there. And we'll see what's going to happen this upcoming week. And again, don't have a big schedule. I know you have LSU, Alabama. That's the highlight. And that just goes to show you that if that is going to be the big game off the top of my head coming into the first Saturday of November, then you know it's not going to be a good college football Saturday. But you have that to chew on. As far as what's happening in the association and NHL, this will be a two-pronged attack as I lace up 
not only my high tops, but I'll also get break out the hockey stick and put the skates on ice, no pun intended, or maybe a pun there, if you will. But for the association, after just not even a full week, the only thing to really discuss, and I know it seems like it's a headline that the Atlanta Hawks went into Milwaukee there last night and blew the doors off of the Bucks, 127 to 110, to where Damian Lillard, who scored 39 points in his first game against Philadelphia in a win, only scored six points yesterday, two for 12, two for eight from three. And right away, it seems like all hell is breaking loose there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I pumped the brakes. I'm not going to get too geeked up after game number two. And I get it. You lose by 17. I don't know what the high point of the Hawks was. Maybe they led by 25 of the game, by 30. I don't know. But again, are we going to go crazy second game of the year to even think that that's an alarming performance or that's something that we're going to have to really keep an eye on to see whether or not the Bucks aren't going to click? And even though Giannis did admit that, hey, it's going to take some time, we're still getting to learn one another, as he said in the post game. But really, are the Bucks going to be a team that's going to be miring at the All-Star break? I'm just guessing here at 29 and 25? I think not. They're going to be perfectly fine. Nothing to really write home about from that regard. But they are currently in a situation where they did lose badly at home. So I'll have to keep note of that. But other than that, I'm not going to... Get too crazy with what's happening here early on. The Nuggets are 3-0, so they've gotten off to a great start to defend their title. I know the Lakers are 1-2, even though LeBron says he feels good with the team and how they performed here so far. All right, perfectly fine. But not to get really crazy about what has happened here over the course of this first week. And between now and Thursday, who knows? But you know that the NBA is on our radar and will certainly keep you abreast of what's happening there. And as far as the NHL... You had the Heritage Classic, which I know people will say, what, Heritage who? The Winter Classic? Jay Reels, that's not until New Year's Day. No, no, no. The Heritage Classic, which is in Edmonton between the Flames and Oilers, the old rivals that go way back, the Battle of Alberta. They played in the outdoor stadium, I believe, where the Edmonton Eskimos, the CFL team play, and the Oilers got a welcoming face back in the lineup and came back exactly a week after the upper body injury that he suffered, where it was determined that it was going to be a week to two that he'd be out of the lineup. But McDavid, and Connor that is, came back, did have an assist, certainly gave his team a huge lift. And he even said, this is a game that he did not want to miss. He wanted to participate in. He said he felt fine enough to perform and be in the lineup. And his presence was certainly felt as the Oilers were able to win there in that outdoor uh, Heritage Classic which was the first of its kind here this year. And why they had it this early, I don't know. I know usually they probably have it. They're not going to have it in the dead of winter, although they did have that game, I believe it was 20 years ago. Was it 2003? And I'll never forget, you saw all the old Edmonton Oilers, the Mark Messiers, the Wayne Gretzkys, and I believe the windchill was 22 below. And that game was a highlight game on TNT. I'm sure a lot of people forgot about it. It was swallowed up by the NFL, of course. But that game was played last night for the hockey fan who I'm sure probably paid attention to to watch an outdoor game, which I understand has a lot of appeal. And even though it is the latter part of October, it's not the middle of winter where you could really get that feel of the cold air, maybe some snow, and obviously the breath coming out of the players' mouths. That's when you get the sense that, oh, this is hockey. This is dead of winter, etc. But for Edmonton, who has really struggled here, they had lost four in a row going into the game last night. And end up winning 5-2. As I mentioned, McDavid had an assist. And let's see how Edmonton, if they're going to be able to take off here and try to get their season on track. But other than that, here over the last few days, I know we talked about that, talked about it on Thursday with the Vegas Golden Knights and how they've gotten off to a tremendous start. And the Bruins finally did lose, although it was an overtime, they did get a point. But their perfect streak has been snapped. And even the same for the Golden Knights. As they also had an overtime loss, they get a point. But they do not have an official loss in regulation. So that's something to hang your hat on if you're both the Bruins and the Golden Knights at both 7-0-1 for Boston, 8-0-1 for Vegas. And the Rangers have played well here as they won four in a row. They're currently at the top of the Metropolitan. So kudos to them. Even Colorado, who last week, they were 6-0, but they've lost two in a row here. 
So they've hit a little bit of a speed bump for them. And that's what you have in the NHL here. Just what? About to go into their fourth week and get into their first full month of their season. Actually, yeah, this is their fourth week, 11 day, if I'm doing the math right. So NHL's in full swing. We talked about the NBA tipping off. And then lastly, there was a boxing match on Saturday, which I'm sure if you're dying the wool, it doesn't matter who the combatants are. It could be me versus, who knows, a washed up fighter, you name whomever that may be, and they'll be in tune to it. Now, I knew that Tyson Fury was fighting Francis Ngannou, the former MMA fighter who's now trying to dabble in boxing. And for Fury, you all know, is the heavyweight champ and a guy that was not fighting for a belt here. This was just a fight between Ngannou and Fury. And when you look at both guys, I tell you, it's like Fury, and this has been him throughout his whole career, he is certainly not the Greek god that a lot of the heavyweights that you've seen in the distant memory, I can't even say recent memory, whether your name is Evander Holyfield, whether your name is Mike Tyson, and this is more of recent vintage, you're not going to go far back as Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, etc., but to have Ngannou go in there and really give Fury all he can handle, to the point where he knocked down Fury in the third round, and it was a 10-round fight to where Ngannou even got the favor of one of the referees where it was scored 94, or excuse me, 95-94, but the other two refs counted 96-93 and 95-94 to Fury. So Fury won. I thought Ngannou, now I didn't see the fight. I watched a bunch of highlights and saw what happened there. And Fury, let's face it, we know the type of fighter he is. He's lumbering. He does have a lot of power. But again, he's not going to be that precision, tactician, just textbook fighter. He's going to try to slug it out. He's just going to try to wear down his opponent. And Ngannou, he was game. Ngannou showed that he belonged. And even Fury in the post-match said it himself. He was very surprised by what he saw there. He gave him a lot of props. And I don't want to say that he took him lightly. But again, he came away from that fight thinking that could there be a rematch down the road? And I think Ngannou would like that. But he was impressed. And give it up for Fury for admitting that and not letting his ego say, ah, you know, he didn't have a shot. What does he know about boxing, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is a whole different ball game when it comes to fighting in a ring as opposed to an octagon, etc. And one more time, I just saw highlights of this. I was not wrapped up in this fight by any stretch. But when I saw that and read the post-fight quotes and saw what had happened there, that it was a split decision. And I thought to myself, say, wow, Ngannou... Probably really held his own. And listen, Ngannou, I understand. He's not going to throw in kicks and certain strikes the way he would if he was in an octagon, but the guy knows how to fight. And we know about his punching power, etc. And I think Fury maybe underestimated that. But for Ngannou to really show his medal and to show his skill in a square ring as opposed to an octagon went a long way to... Could he even possibly be a guy that somewhere down the road... Not to say he's going to fight for a championship belt because, again, he has to build up to that. And, again, since he's new to this sport as opposed to MMA, will he get another crack at this with Fury? You would think. But maybe boxing had a little bit of a moment here on Saturday where the fight was in Saudi Arabia, so it's not as if it was in Vegas. But who knows? I know I'm trying to pump up a sport, which to me, as I've said time after time after time, is on life support. But... Hey, if it did the sport anything, it certainly gave them attention and enough attention for me to bring it up here at the back end of this podcast. So we'll see the direction of Ngannou and where his career will go. And maybe if he gets another crack at this. And for Fury, I know he has a fight, I believe, coming in December. And it's going to be also in Saudi Arabia as well. And I believe that bout is going to be against Alexander Usich. And let me just pull up the date to make sure. That fight, I think it's going to be in early December, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that even though... Oh, so December 23rd, is that right? Oh, wow. So it's actually right before Christmas Eve. So, and here's a quote from Usage. He says, 23 of December, I'm ready to fight. And let's see if that's going to take place there. And you know, boxing needs it. Boxing, as we know, 
a far, 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 far cry from what we saw going back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s. Because boxing, as you know, is rarely talked about here, but I understand there's going to be certain fights, certain matchups, etc. that has to be brought up on this podcast and to the masses and to you guys and gals, but we shall see how that's going to unfold and take place here, whether or not Fury's going to fight Usyk when it's all said and done there in the latter part of this year and right before the Christmas holiday. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by, carving out precious moments out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. You know the deal. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, follow me on my YouTube channel, at JReels, where I post content. I know I didn't post any content yesterday. I was in travel and all that other stuff and trying to follow everything that's happening in the NFL. But with that being said, any... Questions, comments, suggestions, you could do so whether at J Reels on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, X, Twitter, J Reels One, just the number, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say, sports with every fiber of my being. I inhale it, I digest it, I've been doing so since birth. Sharing my passion, fire, fury, energy to discuss what's happening with my thoughts, feelings, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South East, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, happy Halloween on the foot, baby.